From KCLU, this is The 101, a podcast where we journey up and down Highway 101 along California's central and south coast, sharing discovery stories and conversations from Simi Valley to Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo and beyond. I'm your host, Michelle Loxton. It's season four, a season about consequences. Before we begin, a warning that this episode includes descriptions of rape and other sex crimes that may be very upsetting and disturbing to sensitive listeners. Another note, this is part two of a two-part series. You'll want to catch up on the previous episode before diving into this one. Two decades ago, police searched a house in the tiny, tight-knit community of Muscle Shoals. They discovered dozens of videotapes and photos of unconscious women being sexually assaulted and raped, with video commentary by the rapist. The rapist and man in the videos is the great-grandson of the cosmetics empire founder, Max Factor. His name is Andrew Luster. In the previous episode of The 101, we followed the investigation by detectives, learned how they tracked down some of the unknown women in these videotapes, many who didn't know what had happened to them. So we really had to delicately ask questions of these women that we spoke to. Today, we continue the story and follow the case as it goes to trial. And as soon as I watched them, I knew no defense attorney could ever beat this case because the evidence was absolutely sickeningly overwhelming. We touch in with one of the victims about testifying. Then, a bounty hunter gets involved. He said, deep down inside, dog, I knew you are going to get me. We learn what consequences Andrew Luster faced for his conviction of 86 criminal counts, including rape of an unconscious person, sodomy and poisoning. And the fact that after serving 25 years in prison and custody, Luster will be released soon, despite the serious concerns of many. I believe he continues to represent an unwarranted and unreasonable risk to public safety in the communities of Ventura County. And this has made some of his victims very fearful. I don't want to admit that I'm afraid, but I am afraid. From an Iraq war cover-up to towns ravaged by opioids to the roots of our modern immigration crisis, Embedded explores what's been sealed off and undisclosed. NPR's original investigative podcast reveals why these stories and the people behind them matter. Listen to the Embedded podcast only from NPR. This is The 101. I'm Michelle Oxton. My name is Maeve Fox. I'm a former prosecutor from Ventura County. I'm now retired. Fox was the lead prosecutor in Andrew Luster's trial, which began in early December 2002, about two years after his home was searched and he was arrested. She came to this case, as she describes it, a little later in the pre-trial stage. By the time I finally got involved, uh, the charges were firmly settled. The case had gone through a preliminary hearing. The case had gone through many hands in the Ventura County District Attorney's Office, 
And then the DA at the time, who was Michael Bradbury, asked me to step in. What that meant is a lot of work had already been done. Fox said the Luster case had been floating around her office for a few years. She was brought in because of a few concerns. There were a lot of differing opinions about the strength of the case, which was one of the reasons why I was asked to come in, because some of the attorneys in the office had an idea that is very antiquated and wrong in my mind at this time, which was because these girls had agreed to party with Luster that their credibility might be called into question. You know, it's it happens in every single sexual assault case. At some point, I hope we get over this idea. But anyway, so I'd heard about the tapes. I wanted to watch them. I did watch them. Fox said it was the first thing that she did on the case. She went into her office, locked the door, closed the blinds, and watched. And as soon as I watched them, I knew no defense attorney could ever beat this case because the evidence was absolutely sickeningly overwhelming. Fox felt she had a clear path ahead. So altogether what we had were the, were the victims, their testimony. We had these unassailable videotapes of the crimes and we had evidence that the defendant had done this to other women. Remember, there were dozens of videos and photographs and many of the women in them were never found. I cut the witness list down to about 10 or 12 people because all we needed to do was lay the proper foundation to get the videotapes into evidence and it, and it was going to be over. So they go to trial. A few people have described the trial to me as a bit of a circus-like atmosphere. And as you'll hear, there were a lot of theatrics. Mr. Lester was pretty contained, pretty self-contained. That cannot be said about his defense counsel. Fox is referring to Roger Diamond here, Andrew Lester's attorney, who is still practicing law in Santa Monica today, according to the State Bar of California. There was just constant hysteria coming from the defense side, improper comments, outbursts, speaking objections. Fox says the main defense was that everything was consensual. The GHB and drugging was consensual. Scenes for a porn film in the making. But moreover, that they had consented to engage in what Mr. Diamond tried to portray as um, Mr. Lester's budding movie producer career. And, you know, the argument was that these were staged movies, again, just so ridiculous. These kinds of antics, as Fox describes them, continued throughout the trial. Tonya Bolden, one of the victims who spoke to me extensively for this series, shared what it was like to testify during the trial. So now I was pregnant with our second child, our son. And um, so it was really hard being on the stand, um, having to testify, cross-examination by Roger Diamond, which was a nightmare. He 
and, and Andrew, their argument was that I was an actress in a porn film and that the whole thing was just a big put on. And then they played Tanya's rape videotape in front of a packed courtroom. And for me to be up there with my rape being shown in front of everybody, um, I actually threw up because it was so emotional for me. I feel like that was the hardest part of it. They did have my husband leave the courtroom. He's never seen any of the tapes. I would never want him to see that. The trial was taking place in December. As Christmas approached, there was going to be a break. Fox and her team wanted Luster kept in custody rather than being out on house arrest. Because we had received some chatter that he was potentially going to flee. Prosecutors knew he had access to money. He was out on a million dollars bail. I even heard from one of the case investigators, retired Captain Melissa Smith, who you met in part one of this series, that many from her team had the same concerns. They offered to give up their vacation time and watch Andrew Luster's house. That wasn't approved, she said. Here's May Fox again. So we were concerned, highly concerned, that there was this period of freedom. He had an ankle bracelet on, but there was going to be this extended period of freedom, and we were worried that he was going to flee. And that's exactly what he did. At some point during the trial's break, Andrew Luster got rid of his ankle bracelet and fled the country. And then, with Luster still gone, two and a half months after the trial began, Luster was found guilty and sentenced. He was found guilty of 86 criminal counts that included rape, sodomy, drug and weapons possession and poisoning. The counts were calculated for each distinct act on each victim. international manhunt commenced for Andrew Luster. Eventually, he was found by a reality TV show bounty hunter. I was due to speak to Dog the Bounty Hunter, his real name is Dwayne Chapman, for this episode, and we had a brief conversation over the phone, but he's a tough man to tie down as he travels the country talking about his life and work. After months on the run, Dog the Bounty Hunter tracked Andrew Luster down in the Mexican beach resort city of Puerto Vallarta. Here's an Associated Press correspondent reporting in July 2003, shortly after Luster was caught. Wearing a poncho with no shirt underneath, gold-tipped snakeskin cowboy boots, and sporting his signature dyed blonde super mullet haircut, Dwayne Dog Chapman told the tale of catching Andrew Luster south of the border. He says Luster told him he knew he would be caught. He said, deep down inside, Dog, I knew you are going to get me. Chapman says the FBI actually appreciates what he did. I'm on the same totem pole. They're my brothers. But the FBI has said Chapman went too far in grabbing... That capture really launched Dog the Bounty Hunter's career. Andrew Luster was brought back to California and put in prison, sentenced to 124 years. For a decade, there wasn't much news about him. That is, until 2013. 
That's when Andrew Luster's new legal team brought a petition before a judge to have the case thrown out. Maeve Fox explains. There were dozens of different claims made about why the case should be thrown out and Mr. Luster should be freed. And the judge denied every single claim, finding their evidence was lacking to back up any of them. And then she got to the very end. At the end, the judge ruled that the earlier trial judge had not justified the sentence of 124 years, that the crimes justified a shorter sentence, this time 50 years. One of the victims, Tonya Bolden, even supported the reduced sentence at that time. So to me, when um, I found out that he was getting 50 years instead, I thought that that was 50 years. So I calculated that and I think I calculated that he'd be something like 86 years old when he got out. And so to me, that seemed okay. And so I did actually write a letter in support of that. But here's the thing. Andrew Luster won't actually be serving a full 50 years. Even though that's what you might assume and what one of the victims, Tanya Bolden, thought. California law around sentencing can be complicated. Andrew Luster will be serving 50% of his 50-year sentence, and that is because of how his crimes are characterised under the law. I went to the current Ventura County District Attorney, Eric Nasarenko, to help me understand it. Nasarenko was not at the DA's office at the time of this trial, but he was very much aware of it. He remembers it as he was a law student at the time. He has worked as a prosecutor for many years. Before becoming DA in 2021, he worked in the sex crimes unit. The truth of the matter is the vast majority of crimes in California under our penal code are characterized in the law as nonviolent. So right now, nonviolent offenses under our penal code include human trafficking, selling fentanyl, as well as, as here, rape of an unconscious person. They are considered under the legal definition of California law as nonviolent. Yes, you heard that correctly. The rape of an unconscious person is deemed nonviolent under California law. And with an offence characterised as nonviolent, the offender only serves 50% of their sentence. Now, I don't think people recognise these crimes, particularly the ones that Andrew Luster was convicted of, as nonviolent. They are horrific. They were videotaped. These women were drooling. They were in positions of respiratory collapse, labored breathing. This was a surgical anesthetic that was administered to multiple women on multiple occasions. But under the legal definition in California law, only forcible rape, forcible sodomy, forcible digital penetration are considered violent offenses. So that is how Andrew Luster's sentence went from 124 years to 50 years to 25 years. Additionally, Andrew Luster has also been given the opportunity to go up for early parole. And that is because of the passage of Proposition 57, which California voters approved in 2016 for nonviolent offenders. 
Proposition 57 does not give an automatic get out of jail free card. What it does is accelerates his opportunities to get out of jail by giving him earlier chances before the board of parole hearings. In December of last year, Luster appeared before the parole board. Nasarenko's office was at that hearing. They denied parole as they should have. And I just want your listeners to understand the rationale for the denial. The parole board found that he constitutes an unreasonable risk of reoffense, that he continues to minimize, pardon me, the circumstances of the offenses. His testimony before the panel was not forthright nor honest. And also, he continues to minimize and not take full responsibility for his conduct. Luster will get another opportunity for early parole in December 2025. If the Board of Parole Hearings in December of 2025 decides not to parole him, his maximum incarceration date is October of 2026. So that is the very outer limits in which he will remain in prison. I hope those outer limits are indeed reached. Andrew Luster's 25 years are calculated for his time in prison, under house arrest, and in pretrial custody. None of the people I spoke to for this episode think Andrew Luster should be released in 2026. Here's Ventura County District Attorney Eric Nasarenko again. I believe he continues to represent an unwarranted and unreasonable risk to public safety in the communities of Ventura County. And here's Mae Fox, who prosecuted the case. I am concerned about public safety if Mr. when Mr. Luster is released because of the kind of person I think he is. Um, he's a predator. I don't think because he's around, you know, approaching his sixth decade of life that he necessarily is going to change his behavior. And certainly, I think he's probably as much of a threat as he was before because of the resources that he has, unlike most criminals who, you know, don't have access to millions of dollars. Something else that makes many involved nervous is when Luster was captured in Mexico, there were reports that a payback list was found where he was staying. It reportedly had the names of many of the people involved in the trial. Melissa Smith, the retired captain with the Ventura County Sheriff's Office who investigated the Andrew Luster case, told me her name was on it. I asked her if his release made her afraid for her safety. Absolutely. I don't know what I don't know what he's capable of. The victims were also reportedly on this list. Now, the system does provide some security. When he is released, Andrew Luster will be monitored by a parole agent. He'll be subject to involuntary and sporadic searches. He'll be registered as a sex offender. He is also supposed to stay away and make no contact with the victims. Back at Tonya Bolden's house, she opens up a large plastic tub. It's filled with newspaper clippings and letters from Andrew Luster from when he was trying to get her back. There's also a transcription of the victim statement she gave all those years back and some checks from the defense fund she set up to help dog the bounty hunter when he was in legal trouble in Mexico. 
Tanya says she holds on to these things in case she needs to recall dates. She's also thinking about writing a book. But also just for, this might sound morbid, but to pass down to my family members, you know, it was a really big event that happened not only in my life, but it was just so high profile. And I feel like it's an important part of my family history now. Tonya is fearful about Andrew Luster's release. When she agreed to write a letter in support of him serving 50 years in prison, she didn't think she would be facing him coming out of prison in half that time. She told me she only found this out at Luster's parole hearing in December. So this uh, parole hearing I did attend virtually um, and I was able to speak. And I thought that this hearing was just a matter of would he be getting paroled or not, which to me, I thought, well, obviously not. You know, it's only been 19 years. But um, it wasn't until the very end of the parole hearing when the parole board said parole has been denied. You know, we were all on a, it was on a Zoom. And so I could see the other victims' faces as well. We were all sharing our screens. We were all smiling and relieved not knowing that the very next thing that they were going to say is that he his release date is October 31st, 2026. Tanya has written to California's Attorney General and other representatives to see if something can be done about deeming an unconscious rape as nonviolent. There's no way that they can look at all of the rapes that Andrew Lester committed and say that that is not violent. If it doesn't mean that it's going to stop Andrew from getting out in 2026, then that's then so be it. But it's got to change. Tonya says she doesn't believe Andrew Luster feels remorse for what he did. But during his parole hearing, when he spoke, he is not sorry for anything. He um, acted like he was the victim talked about how this, how much this has affected his life. This has left her feeling very nervous about his release. I don't want to admit that I'm afraid, but I am afraid. My husband and I have talked about moving out of California before he gets out, just for our own safety. For now, she remains brave. She's been so public about what happened to her because she doesn't want Andrew Luster's crimes to remain a secret. So this is just something that happened to me, like what could happen to anybody. And I want the world to know what he did. And for me, to speak out about it is the best way to handle it and to teach others too, to just... You know, even if you're afraid, you've just got to do the right thing if it's going to be for the betterment of others. Head over to kclu.org slash podcast where you'll find the text and digital versions of the podcast. The 101 is produced by KCLU Public Radio. We are NPR for the California coast, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Elisa Barber. I'm Michelle Luxton, the host and creator of The 101. If you have an idea or a story for one of our next episodes, email me at podcast at kclu.org. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about it today. And don't forget to subscribe. I'd also love it if you'd rate or review our podcast. That helps others find our podcast. This is The 101. Thanks for listening.